the Lord sent his great messenger Elijah to anoint a prophet to follow him. God chose someone ordinary. Elijah found Elisha, a nobody, plowing his father's field. And what was Elisha's response? He burned his plow and left everything he knew to answer God's call. Elisha, a tale of ridiculous faith. I'm going to talk about Elisha tonight. Uh, Elisha is one of my favorite characters in the Bible. And I'm going to start just a, a, little, a little series on this man. He's quite, a, he's quite a wonderful man. The thing I like about him is he was bald-headed. Amen. So there'll be a lot of uh, common ground here with he and I in the next few weeks. I want to talk to you tonight on a tale of ridiculous faith, Elisha. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to subtitle this, Get Your Call On. I'm going to talk about ridiculous commitment. Now, here's what I want to say to you tonight. After a Sunday like we had, after a great, great weekend like we had, it is not time to say, well, you know, yawn, stretch. I'll just wait till next year to start getting committed like that again and get excited like that again. I posted on Twitter today that Wednesday night to all saints and pastors, Wednesday night is just as important as Easter Sunday was. It's three days after resurrection now, but we still celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ right now. Amen. And so we're going to have a good time tonight and uh, shake somebody's hand and say, I'm going to help the preacher. Then look up here and say, Pastor, preach to us tonight. Let the word touch my heart. Let the word change my heart. Pastor, preach the word to us tonight. Let the word touch my mind. Let it change my mind. Pastor, preach the word to us tonight. Let me leave here a better person than what it was when I came in. Say amen to that. Amen. Amen. And you may be seated. God bless you real, real good. Thank you, Mitch. Thank you. The next four weeks will be a defining moment in your relationship with God. I truly believe that. One goal and one purpose only is to allow the teaching of God's Word to both build your faith and give you a ridiculous amount of faith. Now, if you're a little old school, ridiculous means, in this day and age, good. In, in this sense. How many of you have noticed that there's a lot of words that now have opposite meanings than what they had when you were growing up? Back in my day, bad meant bad. But now bad can mean good. If it's like bad, it's good. Sometimes it's bad, it's not good. So you got to understand how they're saying it when they're pulling up their pants. You bad. You bad. It's on how you say it. Sick is the same thing. Sick is like sick. Somebody just threw up on me. That's sick. Or if it's really cool, it's sick. That chick is sick. Sick is cool. That's how mine works. Ridiculous. 
is the same way. Ridiculous used to mean outlandish in a bad way. Now, if a cake is really good, what is it? The cake is ridiculous. Wow. And we've got a new word now. It's called redonkulous. We're just making all kinds of words. I was at a, I was at a school today taking a, taking a tour of a school, and I walked into a class, and the class was discussing Dante's Inferno. And it was, it was an incredible thing. And, and to hear the language of freshman kids in a high school, wow. Words that I never even thought of when I was growing up. They just flowing out of them. And I wanted to raise my hand and say, what does that mean? But I'm supposed to be a pastor that knows what that means. So I just kept quiet. But we use words in a very unique way. What I want to do tonight is look at the life of Elisha. And I believe that God wants to build ridiculous faith in a good sort of way in all of our lives. Let me give you a little bit of context here before we turn to our Bibles. 1 Kings chapter 19, we're going to be reading here in a little bit, but not yet. Let's talk about who Elisha was. Then we'll look at our text, then I'll tell you where we're going in this series, then we'll dive in. There was a guy one day by the name of Elijah. Say Elijah. Some people get Elisha confused with Elijah. Elijah was one of the great prophets of the Old Testament. He was bold, he was daring, he was full of faith. And Elisha wanted to be like Elijah, and he was bold enough and ridiculous enough to ask for a double portion of Elijah's anointing. I was coming in from eating dinner tonight, and I heard that a high school kid invited Miss America to a prom. And he got kicked out of school for three days because it was such a ridiculous request that a junior or senior in high school would ask Miss America, my Lord, if he's got it in him, ask it. Don't kick a kid out of school because he's got that kind of boldness. He'll be a president someday. We liable to defeat Russia or whatever. But God, in his sovereign will, gave Elisha, who studied under Elijah, a double portion of his anointing. And Elisha actually performed more recorded miracles than Scripture than anyone except with the exception of Jesus. He divided the Jordan. The Baldy Bear affair took place. He raised the dead. The axe head floated. He purified poison stew. His bones resurrected dead men. He was just quite a powerful man. And what's interesting about this guy is that he was very ordinary. Say ordinary. Look at your friend beside you and say, just like you. He was ordinary. He wasn't the son of a priest. He wasn't a monk. He wasn't some sort of spiritual giant. He was an ordinary guy living at home with his parents. Hadn't gone off to college working on a farm, and God came along and called him to do something incredible. The context is he lived during the 9th century B.C. in a time when Israel was very divided, and there was great tension in the land, and many people were worshiping the false god of Baal, and God raised up this ordinary guy, say ordinary guy, and did something extraordinary through his life. And so now we're going to go to 1 Kings chapter 19, and we're going to look at it, verse 19 through 21. Here's how it says it. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shapheth. And he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. And Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. And Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. 
Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said. And then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. And he took his yoke of oxen, watch this now, and slaughtered them. It gets even more ridiculous. He burned the plow and the equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate it. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. Turn to somebody and say, that's the beginning of a ridiculous story. Say it. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous to think that a man would just jump up and down, run and kiss his parents, kill the cows, burn the plows, and run off with a man because he threw a mantle over him. Okay, so let me tell you where we're going in this series. Next week, we're going to see something that really speaks to me. So many of us, because of our faith is so small, we're not willing to dream big. But next week, we're going to talk about faith. Many don't think big enough. But you've got to start small, but you've got to start. And we're going to talk about shovels that dug wells and dug holes in the ground in a wilderness. In the third week, we're going to talk about a widow who was about to lose sons, and she was desperate, and all she had in her house was some oil. And I'm telling you, when you've got the oil in your house, you've got enough. You've got enough. And then the fourth week, we're going to talk about losing your spiritual or lose, lose your spiritual edge, losing your spiritual edge, and we're going to talk about the floating axe head, the miracle of Elisha, getting your edge back. How many like to have your edge back? Come on, how many like to have your edge back? So tonight, I want to show you a ridiculous commitment of faith from the prophet Elisha. And we'll look at these verses again, and then we'll break them down and apply them to our lives specifically. Now, let's look at verse 19 again. In the middle of the verse, where it tells us what he was doing, Scripture says Elisha was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. And what we'll notice is that he's doing the same job he had been doing for a long time. He was working on his parents' farm. He was driving a yoke of oxen. Last year, I taught from a book that Stephen Furtick wrote called Greater on the life of Elisha. If you haven't read the book, I recommend it. I recommend that book now that I've already taught on it. It's really a faith-building book, and in it he points out something I never thought about, and that is this, the monotony of what it would be like to plow behind a yoke of oxen every single day. Oh. Think about it. What do you smell when you're behind a yoke of oxen? Let's get real. Something that's sick and not in a good kind of way. You smell oxen residue. <laughs> what do you see? What's the scenery every day if you're behind a plow and your oxen are pulling it? You're walking behind oxen, what's the scenery? You see oxen rears. Don't say anything bad now. I'm just saying oxen rears, oxen tails, oxen behinds. That's what you see. In case you're having a hard time visualizing this, I want to give you something so it'll help you see. So I want to show you some picture this picture of these oxen here. See that? <laughs> see that right there? That's what you see all day long, every day, all day. Just leave it up there a little bit. Just leave, I want to leave that as a reminder. That's what some people live and see every day. They just see. You know, when you're always in second place in a sled dog, the scenery never changes when you're riding second. Thank God for lead dogs. 
And so that's the scenery that this man is seeing every day. Now, some of you may feel a little bit like him. You're not looking at oxen rears, but you're doing the same thing day in and day out, and it's getting monotonous. You're going to the same job. And you're working with the same people, and you say, I feel like I'm staring at oxen rears right now. I can't get a break. Now, don't call your co-workers oxen rears. That's not what I'm saying, but that's the way you feel. Some of you may be in sales day in and day out. And you make your quota and you start over again. You make your quota and you start over again. You're like, you know, this is monotonous. All I ever do is live up to some standard and start all over again. Some of you might be students and you might think, what do I do? I study, I work, I pay the bills. I study some more, I work, I pay the bills. I study and I work oxen rears everywhere. And those of you who are parents, what do you see all day long? Diapers and laundry and dishes. Diapers and laundry and dishes. Dishes and laundry and diapers. It's just the same thing. And you start to think, it's incredibly easy to lose your passion when all you see is oxen rears all day long. I remember years ago, I went with my dad. My dad was a, was a pumper in an oil lease, and he did it for 27 years straight. The same oil lease. And he worked seven days a week many times. And one summer I went out there with him. And mom had sent him again the same thing in the lunch pail. She sent him a lunch and we went to the little dog house. That's what you call the place where he went and did his reports. Had a little air conditioner in there and dad sat in the dog house and we ate lunch. And mama sent me a little lunch, sent dad a lunch. And mom had sent a sandwich and chips and an apple. And dad looked at me that day and he said, Mom did good today, son. I said, what do you mean? He said, she sent me pimento cheese today, not tuna. He said, I'm glad you came today, son, because she knew you liked pimento cheese and I got the same. I've been getting tuna every day for years, son. Oxen rears. And this is where Elisha was. But I want you to notice that he was being faithful. Oh, I'm fixing to preach now. At the task at hand. And I believe with all my heart that God loves to reward those who are faithful in the little things of life. In fact, I'm going to put it on the screen. When you're faithful with a little, He can trust you with much. Come on, say it. When you're faithful with a little, He can trust you with much. And Elisha, even though it might have not been the favorite thing to do, even though he could have been incredibly drained in physically, emotionally, He was faithful in the middle of his faithful daily routine. God sent something new to take him from where he was and make a ridiculous impact on his life. Verse 19, the end of the verse says this, Elijah went up with him and threw his cloak around him. Now, what in the world does that mean? Well, his cloak would have been kind of a coat made of animal skin or fur. I'm still laying a little foundation. This was his covering. And what Elijah did was he took his covering and put it on Elisha and basically symbolically said, this which covered me will now cover you. That which was a mantle on me will now be a mantle on you. That which was I was under, will, you will now be under. And you will be my student, and I'll be your mentor. And as God has been working through me, now God is going to work through you. And he put his mantle on Elisha and the mantle covered Elisha. Now, I want to apply this story to your life and show you two principles, and I'm fixing to preach right now, two principles. 
of ridiculous commitment and watch how the ordinary man responds to an extraordinary call. God is going to call him to follow Elijah and he's not going to know the details. Here's the first point I want to give you, the first principle. You don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. You don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. Say it with me. You don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. You don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. When God calls you to do something, you don't have to understand the details. He doesn't have to give you the whole story. Verse 20 here is what happens. First, Elisha puts a cloak around him. Then in verse 20, Elisha then, the Bible says he left his oxen and ran after Elisha. Elijah, he simply said, let me kiss my father. Let me kiss my mother. Goodbye, and I'll come with you. Notice, he didn't even have time to pray about it. He just went and started running after a man of God. Did pastor just say that? Did he say, did he, say he didn't even pray about it? That's what I said. And he didn't list pros and cons. He didn't say why I should do this and why I shouldn't do this. He didn't have to consult a counselor. As, his, as, he, as he did, he, he said simply, God, I believe that you are in this. I don't know the details, but since I believe you're in on this, I will obey you right now. You don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. There are some people that want to know all the details. Give me the details. Now, let me take you down a rabbit trail of thought. People ask me from time to time, Pastor, what's the five-year plan for this church? Well, let me tell you something. I don't, I don't think in five-year terminology anymore. And the reason I don't is because things are happening so quick now in our society I don't plan much over 12 to 18 months out because I want to be able, if God steps up and wants to do something in year one of a five-year plan, I can say, God, we're ready. No, God, no, 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 we're not ready, God. We're in a five-year plan, and you're four years early, and we're not going to do that. I want to be so ready. Things are moving at warp speed in this world. And if things are moving at warp speed in this world, then God's got a church running faster than that. And I believe that God will have a church prepared for people that are ready to find Jesus Christ. And we've got to live on the edge of our seat all the time because there's something happening in America. America's being stirred by the presence and power of God. And churches that are ready are going to be filled to capacity. I believe that. We don't have time to plan five years down the road. I know know you're saying, Pastor, you're losing your mind. No, no, no. I think instead of planning for the future, what we need to do is plan to respond to the present. What's God doing right now? What's God doing right now? What did he do here Sunday? I'll tell you what he did Sunday. He brought people in in mass. And you know what he's going to do again this Sunday? He's going to bring people in in mass. 
You know what he's going to do next Sunday? He's going to bring people in in mass because there's a church that is ready at 4700 Westgate Boulevard to glorify his name and to step into his moment and to step into this time and to say something has touched us, something has anointed us, and we are ready to step into the ministry that you have for this congregation. I want to be able to respond to the voice of God. To opportunities that I'm not smart enough to predict. I want to be able with my staff to have a financial margin enough to seize opportunities that we didn't plan for. Because we may, who knows, we may in less than a year be in a totally different location. A a place that will seat four or five thousand people. We don't have to wait for five years for God to do that. We're doing a work right now every Wednesday and every Sunday and every prayer meeting and every time we come to the house of God. And God may have an Elijah coming our way and say, Hey, 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 I got something for you. And I'm going to hit you with it. That's right. That's right. You can obey immediately even if you don't understand fully. If I had known about this preaching slash pastoring thingy. I might have been in South America right now, hiding somewhere on the Amazon. (laughs) Running from God, fighting the piranhas. But God didn't give me the details. He dropped a mantle on me, and when he did, I ran. I didn't say, Lord, give me five years. Give me a five-year plan. I wanted something in my life. I wanted something in my spirit. And God dropped it on me. And God is dropping something on Christian Life Church. You better get ready for it. It's an uncommon thing, but God's dropping something on this ordinary place here right now. And we are moving into a realm of the Spirit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, I feel like walking and talking right now. We're moving into a realm of the Spirit that is overwhelming. You cannot control what God is about to do in this house. It's about to get out of our hands. It's about to get, it's called a double portion. It's called the blessing of Elisha. It's called the glory of the Lord. And when it hits you, you better run with everything that's in you. You better commit yourself totally to a cause because God is doing a great work now. Right now. Right now. Right now. Right now. Amen. 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 You know, God guided Old Testament people by one word. Moses, go. Abraham, go. Where? Where? Go. This sounds like way outside the line preaching, but where do you want me to go? I've got a city for you. It's got a foundation. I'm the builder, I'm the maker, and I'm God. And Abraham went out, watch this now, not knowing where he went. But he followed after God because a mantle hit him one day. And he understood there's some things I've got to do. I don't have to know everything about the story to obey immediately in my life. I can step up and obey because when God is in it, we're going to win it. And when God is for it, we're going to make it. You hear me? We're going to make it. 
and I came to preach to you. We're not going to settle on our leaves after an Easter Sunday. We're going to step up to the plate. We're going to let the glory of the Lord come down upon this house, service after service. We're not competing with anybody. We're just going to let glory reside and reign at Christian Life Church. I'm ready to see prayer lines in this house. I'm ready to see healings in this house. I'm ready to see Holy Ghost fall in this house. I'm ready to see the glory of God come down in this house. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. It's ridiculous. But God is in it. God is in it. Sometimes in our best laid plans, in our best laid plans, God has just said, I want you to go. I want you to go. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. I want you to go. I want you to do it. I want you to go. I want you to step into the water. Pete's in a boat one day and he looks out there and there's Jesus walking on the water. He said, look at him. He's walking on the water. He said, Lord, is that you? Yes. He said, well, if it is, bid me come. And he didn't say, okay, Pete, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to give you a little biography now. This is how I do it. You got to put your sandals heel first, toe second, but on your left foot, toe first and heel second. So it's heel, toe, toe, heel. And you've got to balance yourself by holding your hands out. And you can't look right or left. You can't do that because you'll sink if that happens. You, you, you got to understand, Pete, that you may need to tuck a life jacket underneath your right arm because it could happen, you know. No, he didn't do that. He just looked at him and said, come on, come, come. Is that all? That's all. Come on, come on, come on. I'm telling you, some of you need to step into the water, need to get out of the boat and say, I am tired of just plowing behind the same scene. I'm going to step into my anointing. I'm going to step into my calling. I'm going to step into my glory. I'm going to step into the place that God wants me to be. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. Some of you may hear one word from God. I don't know what it will be. Maybe in your marriage. Maybe you're struggling right now and you're thinking about cashing it in. And you hear one word and the word is stay. God, would you give me a little more on that? No, just stay. Just stay. You don't have to know everything. You don't have to hold the know, have, have to have the whole deal. You don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. Just stay. Some of you, you've got an idea, some business idea, or a ministry idea, or a book idea. You'd like how and when and how you're going to pay for it. And I don't understand. And God gives you one word, and that word is start. Just start. Get up and start. Well, would you tell me who I need to be as a publisher? No, just start right. Start. When I wrote Palm and Willow, I waited 20 years, and the book should have been published 10 years before I wrote it. But I waited and waited and waited, waiting for God to put a pencil in my hand and start pushing that pen and let me just write. And finally one day the Lord said, when are you going to start? When are you going to get this going, son? And I said, God, he said, I don't want to hear that. I'm telling you, start. Some of you, 
You've been kicking around the church. You've been filling to the bulwarks. You've been looking at the pillars, and you've been saying, wow, I'd like to be a part of that someday. And God has got one word for you. Commit. Just commit. Don't worry about whose friends are going to walk away from you. Don't worry about what's going to leave you. Don't worry about what's going to walk away, because whatever walks away, God's got a whole lot better walking to you. Just commit. Some of you need to start committing like never before because this is the day the Lord has made and we're going to rejoice and be glad. You need to understand there's an anointing. There's an anointing that's coming on your life. Just commit. Just commit. Some of you are thinking, you know, I'd love, we we don't have any children, I'd love to be a foster parent, an adoption parent. But, Pastor, we need to have lunch. Okay. Let's have lunch. Okay, I need to talk to you. Okay, what? Okay, should we adopt nationally or internationally? Should we go to China or just get somebody here? Should we go to Mexico or Canada? You know what the Lord is saying? Adopt. Just do it. Quit getting the paralysis of analysis and just get after it. Just do it. I remember Jim and Yvette. I remember Jim and Yvette coming to my office one day. God, I love Jim and Yvette. They're two of my heroes in this church. They came to the office one day, and they said, Pastor, we want to get in this foster program. I said, good. So, Pastor, we got to go to all these classes. I said, good, good, that's good, go. So they went to the classes. They brought the foster people, and I met them, and it was a wonderful, wonderful time, and we met the foster people, and they said, Jim and Yvette, you just, you've got a track record. It's beautiful. It's clean. It's good. You're awesome. So they, they put three kids in their home, a little girl, two little boys. And they kept them six months, and then they came back one day and said, we're going to have to take them. And Jim and Yvette came off just weeping and crying, just crying, just weeping, crying. Said, oh, God. We fell in love with these kids, and they took them away from us. I said, no, 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 no. You you can't imagine what God's got walking in the door in a few days. You can't imagine what's coming in the front door. And it wasn't three months later until little Emily, little Ben, and little Tyler Two little twins and a little girl. The girl looks just like Yvette. The boys look just like their daddy. And we had them here on Mother's Day one day showing pictures of them. And you'd think that it was relational blood. And, 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 and the, the adoption program went good. They've adopted them now. And everything's cool and kosher. And those kids are growing up. They're some of the sweetest kids that ever walked in this church. They wasn't born into the church, but they were adopted into the church. <laughs> Wouldn't surprise me if the little boys don't wind up being preachers or ball players, one of the two. But whatever they are, they're going to be Christian all the way through. The little girl may be a college ball player herself. But hear what I'm telling you. When God says it's time, step into it. Don't worry about some five-year program, ten-year program. Well, I'm going to watch the church, see how good it goes. No, no, no. When God says commit, it's time to commit. When God says jump in, it's time to jump in. You don't have to fully understand to completely Obey immediately. You have to understand it all. Just go ahead and do it. Now, there may be a single girl here right now, and you know you're dating a jerk, a loser, a punk. And everybody knows it, and God may give you one word, and when he does, you need to obey it. What is is God's one word to you? Break up with that jerk. Oh, that's five. I'm sorry. I gave you five because you're too special. To settle for a fixer upper punk like that, break up. And I'm going to say this. 
you can't marry a cherry lime maid when you're drinking a slush. I don't know why I said that, but I said it. You can't marry a cherry limeade. Anybody ever had a cherry limeade? Is that the best thing ever at Sonic? Is that the best thing ever at Sonic? Hang those slushes. Give me a cherry limeade. Give me something that's tart and sweet and good. Mm, I love it. And you can't marry a cherry limeade as long as you're drinking a slush. Come on, step up. Break up with that jerk and move forward. God's got something for you. You hear me? Don't you ever think that God has forgotten where you are. You may be plowing in a field. You may be looking at the rear end of oxen. You may be smelling bad stuff, but hang in there. There's an anointing coming on your life. And God is going to use you for His glory. I got to quit. The second little principle I want to share with you is this. Hang on just a minute. Let me back up just a bit. Anybody ever, did I ever tell you how I met Patty? I'm fixing to. <laughs> See, when Patty met me, God had already spoke to her that she's going to be my wife. But he didn't tell me that. He didn't tell me that. I was just sobbing around, crying, weeping, just feeling sorry, having pity parties, preaching, crying. Just feeling sorry for myself. Poor, poor, pitiful me. I, I couldn't even encourage myself in the Lord sometime. I just over here in the, in the corner just to cry. And there's a woman in Houston saying, I'm fixing to marry him. I wish God would have spoke that to me. But one day, we kind of saw each other and we went to the airport. And it was before 9-11 so she could see me off on the plane. And I would, I'd been down there for a a Bible seminar thing, and I'd ask her parents to come out and eat, and I bought their whole, the whole family came, and I bought their meal. I was trying hard. And here she was sitting there smirking, smug, knowing she is going to marry me. God already spoke to her. It makes me mad when God speaks to people like that, and he doesn't talk to me about it. And at that airport that day, God gave me one word. He said, her. Huh? Her. Are you deaf, boy? Her. So I looked at her and I said, Patty, listen, I'm not going to date. I got a seven-year-old and I'm a, I got a six-year-old, seven-year-old, and, and I am a, um, I'm a pastor. I'm not going to date. So if you'd like to you'd like to hang around me you know what the end result's going to be God said her I wish God would have said now son here's what's going to happen you're going to marry her and you're going to have two wonderful girls and and they're going to bring children to you and you're going to be a grandpa and you're going to be happy and you're going to pastor a large church in Austin Texas and you're going to be blessed and I wish God would have said that to me but all he said was her I didn't know the whole message. But when she looked at me, she said, I can do that. And she already knew she's going to marry me. And I found out the week of our wedding that she already knew. We started our wedding mad at each other. She should have told me that a long time ago. 
And some of you, when you get ready to step into that anointing and you realize that God's doing something great in your life, you're going to say, why didn't I honor this before? But I had this five-year plan, and God interrupted on about six-month program. Get ready to be interrupted by the Holy Ghost in this hour. Amen? The second thing, the second principle I want to talk about is those God uses the most are the ones that hold on to the least. Are you with me? Those God uses the most are the ones that hold on to the least. This is going to speak to somebody. Those that God used the most are the ones who hold on to the least. Watch what Elisha does in verse 21. Elisha left him and went back and took his yoke of oxen. These were animals that brought about his livelihood. The Bible says he slaughtered them. He killed them dead. 24 oxen. 12 yoke. He slaughtered them right now. Then what did he do with the plows? Scripture said he burned the plows to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. He made a bonfire out of the plowing equipment and cooked steaks for his buddies. Then he set out to follow Elijah to become his servant. That's ridiculous enough through and through. Okay, God's calling me to follow this prophet, become like him, maybe even become greater than him, so what do I do? I kill the cows and I burn the plows. Say it. I kill the cows and I burn the plows. Now, if you kill the cows, it's symbolic because whenever God did something great, people would make a sacrifice. When the prodigal son came home, the father said, go get the fatted calf. And they killed the calf and they fed everybody and they had a party. Now, whatever it is, I want to tell you, it's time for you to start partying with God's will in your life and quit fighting what God wants to do through you and by you in the Holy Ghost. Not everybody's going to stand in this pulpit, but you can bring people by the droves to this church. You can win people. You can do things for the kingdom of God. God Almighty has got something great for you to do, and it's time for you to quit worrying about Plan B. There is no plan B with God. Only plan A. And the plan A is to obey what God has asked you to do in this hour. If you're a worshiper, you need to worship like you've never worshipped before. If you're a giver of encouragement, you need to give it like you've never given before. If you're a person that brings division, you need to hush your mouth right now. If you're somebody that loves the music of the church, you need to get involved with everything that's in it. If you love children, you need to help us in our Sunday school program. It's time that we get involved. It's time to have a burning of the plow and a killing of the cow mentality in our life. It's time to have a party. It's time to have a party. It's time to enjoy what God's got for us. Now, let's use our minds here. You know, the daddy probably, Shapheth, I don't know a lot about him. But he probably, when, when Elisha came back, he probably said, Son, now, now don't lose your mind over this. Why don't you just keep the cows, keep the oxen, and why don't you just keep the plows, put them in the barn? Because if this don't work out, you know, you can always come back. You can always come back. Because the Bible never said Shaphat followed Elijah. The Bible said Elisha followed Elijah. But Elisha would never 
allow himself to go back to something that he left to follow the man of God and follow his anointing. I don't, know, I don't know how to say this any better than what I'm about to say, and it's just so plain. When you start following Jesus Christ, you need to lay the world aside. You cannot serve two masters. You're going to love one and hate the other. You're going to cling to one and despise the other. You need to hang on to Jesus Christ. He is the author. He is the finisher of your faith. Amen? Lord, help me. Now, Pete encountered Jesus one day, and he was fishing. and couldn't catch anything. The Lord hollered and said, Peter, throw your nets on the other side. And he threw his nets on the other side, and his nets got so full they broke. And Pete looked at the Lord, and he said, Wow, you are Jesus, and I'm a sinful man. Now, watch this. Watch this. Peter left everything. He left his nest. Jesus said, you caught fish today, but you're going to catch men. And the disciples left everything to follow Jesus Christ. Everything. Now, what does that mean, Pastor? That means that you've got to love the one that has saved you more than anything in this world. I'm not telling you to quit your jobs today. I'm not preaching that way. But you've got to love Jesus. More than anything, you've got to love him more than your wealth. You've got to love him more than your health. You've got to love him more than your family. Because when you love him, you'll love your family more. You've got to love him more than your occupation. You've got to love him more than your, than your status. You've got to love him more than anything you have in this world. And when you do, when you do, I promise you, he will have something gloriously waiting on you. You've got to do that. You've got to do that. I've got to quit. The Bible said they left everything. So, Pastor, leave my job. You know, I trained for this. I get a major in college for this. You know, leave my comfort, leave my family, leave my neighborhood, my friends, my lifestyle. They left everything. They left everything to follow him. There are some of you that God is going to speak to you at some time and give you a plow-burning faith, which means you've got to put your trust totally. And completely in the Lord Jesus Christ. And some of us are planking. We're trying to hold on to one side. And you're in a bad situation. You can't, you can't let go either side because you'll fall on your head or you'll fall on your backside. Because you're planking. You're trying to live in two worlds at the same time. Let me finish. I know, I know a young man who, whose father was a very wealthy, wealthy, young man, a wealthy man, and he wanted to turn the business over to his son. This man lived in Arkansas. And his father wanted to turn the business over to him. He had a great business. And his son did not want to do his father's business. He said, Dad, I'm not cut out for that business. Well, what do you want to do, son? Well, I feel like I need to be a junior high school teacher and be a coach. And his daddy said, son, you're goofy. You're crazy. Why did you want to do that when you can have this? He said, dad, people is my business. I want to help people. And his dad said, I don't get it. I don't get how you 
could not do this. You could still teach. You can still coach. Dad, this business has consumed you from morning till night. I don't want this business. I want to coach and I want to teach junior high school. And you know what? I saw him a couple of years ago. I was up in Arkansas. And he's not just coaching kids now. He's, he's officiating college basketball now. His dream was not his father's desire for him. And he followed after and became a Christian referee in NCAA college basketball. And he, he said, Pastor, he said, I know that I could have, I know that I could have been, I could have been good in my dad's business, but that wasn't what I wanted. I wanted this life. I wanted to live for God and help people in this life. You know, I, I, this is going to be the only negative thing I'm going to say tonight. But there are some of people who, who are in love with things so much that we won't see them much between May and September. They'll be gone. Their vacations are three months long. Don't get quiet. Somebody scratch or something so I know you're alive. <laughs> and, and, and I'm not, I'm not opposed to vacations. Here, Pastor, starting this in April. But, but here's what I want to tell you. You can't love Jesus three-fourths of the year and vacate his house three months out of the year. I heard a story about a little nine-year-old girl whose dad had this nice place and they always got away for three months. He took a three-month leave of absence and they went away. This little girl was nine years old and she, she told her daddy one day, said, Daddy, how come the preacher preaches about loving Jesus all year long and we don't love him in the summer? And a nine-year-old kid convicted a daddy when a preacher couldn't convict a daddy. Let me tell you, summertime's coming but this church has got a wave of momentum. This church has got a wave of momentum. And I'm already preaching summer excellence right now. Because I want you to understand something. That we're going to have a summer of all summers in 2014. This is the year of the double portion. This is the year of 14, the double portion. And we're going to have an Elisha ministry in this church this summer. You hear me? Everybody say, Pastor, I'm going to love him in June. I'm going to love him in July. I'm going to love him in August. And we're going to have a rip-roaring time in September. Amen? Because it's time for us to understand that God can do more with those who have least to let go of. You don't have to hold on to a lot of things. Let God be the one you hold on to this year. Amen? And that concludes today's podcast. Thanks again for listening.